This film tells the story from the day that Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to four days later when the boycott started. So it's a behind the scenes look at how the boycott was organized and it's also the personal journey of Mrs. Parks becoming the face of the movement. That's actor Maida Golding talking about her role of Rosa Parks in the new TV movie, Behind the Movement. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. On December 1st, 1955, Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat for a white passenger and was arrested in Montgomery, Alabama. On December 5th, the black community of Montgomery began a boycott of the bus company that lasted until December 20th, 1956. Behind the Movement is an original film produced for TV One that tells the story of the people who decided Rosa Parks' arrest would be the catalyst that would challenge the segregation of public transportation. And it also shows how they brought the 55,000 members of the black community together to create the most successful boycott in American history. As the name suggests, Behind the Movement focuses on lesser-known figures whose work ensured the boycott's success and who helped launch the modern civil rights movement. But Rosa Parks, of course, occupies a central role as the woman who said no. Mrs. Parks' quiet determination comes through in Maida Golding's strong performance. In films, Maida is probably best known for The Hunger Games, playing the warrior Enobaria. And she also has a television resume as long as my arm, including Criminal Minds, Dark Blue, CSI, and Colony. And although Maida Golding is an accomplished and experienced actor, she was not quite prepared for the phone call from TV One. Believe it or not, there was no audition. I just simply got a call and uh, asked if I would be interested in playing this role. And at first sight, like, I was like, what? Rosa Parks? Would I be interested? You know, it seemed like a crazy concept. And and then I read the script and I, I was like, oh my goodness, it's a really well done script. And so it, it was extra humbling to, to have this just kind of like just kind of show up. It was like a miracle. You're embodying an icon like mm-hmm. Rosa Parks. Was that daunting? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, of course. Well, it was such an honor. I mean, it was such an honor to be even be asked. Um, and at first, I as I started to learn more about Mrs. Parks, I was like, I can't do this. How am I supposed to? I mean, she was really an incredible woman, her entire life. And I mean, you could do a movie of many different parts of her life and many different things that she did. So it was completely daunting. But then it was kind of what an actor waits for, you know, to play someone who meant so much to so many people and was such a complicated person and and a brave person. So it was a huge challenge, incredibly intimidating, but something that I that I just was kind of like, I don't know how I could not do this. Now, how did you begin to get inside of her? What was your entry point? Uh, I did a lot of reading. I read everything that she wrote, and there's several biographies um, about her. There's also some video and audio of her in the 50s 
being interviewed about the boycott. Those are a little stilted because they're, they're interviews, but you still get a sense of what she sounded like. There's also this wonderful book that her family wrote, uh, her nephews and nieces, and that really gave a, a look inside her intimacy. And also, she was really church-going. And so I entered it also that way. I went to a lot of church and, and entered it in there because her faith really carried her very far, gave her a lot of courage. Like she felt that it was greater than her, what she had done. Yeah, her faith was really key to her activism, wasn't it? Yes, yes. She was very humble, but she had faith. And I always go back to, to her faith and her faith in God and the dignity of, of human beings and humankind. And her whole life, she was an activist, and she always stood up for human rights, whether it was Native American, LGBTQ. I mean, uh, she was a, a lifelong believer in humanity. It was very inspiring to be a little bit in her shoes. <laughs> well, let's talk about you being in her shoes, because you created this similar physicality to her that was uncanny. Oh, thank you. I mean, the way you would hold yourself, it was there was such a stillness that you created. Can you talk about physically how you worked this out? Well, I think in listening to how she spoke and some of her interviews, you would see that she she really listened and absorbed first before she responded. Even like in prayer, I always feel like prayer is very much about listening besides asking it's it's allowing and also at the time a lot of people she was surrounded by were men and huge larger than life you know Martin Luther King and Edie Nixon and these were were very vocal and communicative people and Edie Nixon was one of the prime organizers of the boycott yes and Rosa was a much more internal person and so I don't know. I think like I started just by listening and how that affected the body or I always felt like she always really took a person in. If she was going to talk to anyone, she really was present with them. And and what that does to the body, it kind of shifts it. And and also once I was there and I thought our costume designer did such a beautiful job putting on those clothes and you know, her hair was always back. There's this beautiful story about how she had long, long hair all the way to her bottom, but she always wore it back and she only let her hair down for her husband or her very intimate family members. And so there was always this modesty and humility that I thought was really beautiful. And I don't know, I just, I just was so inspired by her and I just tried to allow it to come through. But you weren't mimicking her. You weren't no. <laughs> at all. It really was an interpretation. Exactly. Well, to my benefit, or maybe not, you, I didn't know what Rosa Parks sounded like. I knew Rosa Parks more in terms of her image. And and so it wasn't like Martin Luther King. The minute you hear his timber, you're like, ah, oh, that's Martin Luther King, you know. So I felt like it's this interpretation of, of how she comes through me. She wasn't the first woman who refused to give up her seat, but she was the first one there was a real public rally around. Why was that? Well, it was strategy, frankly. There had been several women, but 
at the time in the 50s in the segregated South, it was such a dangerous time for anyone in the black community that the activists knew that they only had one shot to rally all their resources around. And in fact, Mrs. Parks was the secretary of the NAACP, so she was very much looking for someone to be the face of the boycott that they had been loosely planning. And and it's not that Mrs. Parks was planted there on purpose. She just had had enough and refused to give up her seat that day. All of the activists felt that in order to convince everyone to get behind this boycott and join the boycott, it had to be a person that that seemed responsible. Uh, Mrs. Parks was regarded very highly in her community. She was church-going. Uh, she was educated. She had a job. She was a seamstress. Her demeanor was, was very reserved. So she seemed like a good image for people to trust in, not just the white media, but also folks in the black community who had to actually, by being part of the boycott, they were putting their own livelihood at risk. They needed someone beyond reproach, in other words. Exactly. And the film also focuses on the church ladies and the women's clubs, which made my heart sing. Because (laughs) without the women, there was no boycott. They really were the prime organizers who got the word out. The church played such a huge role in activism for, for a very, very long time, but it was also women's groups that really organized, but women had so much to do with it. Let's hear a clip from Behind the Movement. Emmett Till's murderers got away with it, so lynchings were happening often. Folks were scared. Couldn't help thinking about young Emmett when that bus driver was yelling and threatening me to get out my seat. (laughs) Then when he said he was gonna call the police, I said, Go ahead, call the police. I just told myself to stay calm. Stay calm, Rosa. You see, it was reported that that I was tired. And that wasn't true. I was tired of all the injustice, all the fear and indignity that they were putting us through. That's the truth. And I just, I had reached my limit. I said, not today. The brutal murder of Emmett Till in Mississippi is mentioned a few times in the film. And I really hadn't realized it was the same year. For whatever reason, I thought it was a couple of years earlier. But that child's death had a tremendous impact. It did. Earlier that year, Emmett Till was murdered. He was a 14-year-old boy who was visiting. He was uh, from Chicago, and he was visiting his family in the South, And he was at a grocery store and supposedly whistled at a white woman. And that evening, he was kidnapped from his home, tortured, and then brutally murdered and thrown into a river. Um, His mother had his body shipped back to Chicago and then invited a photographer from Jet Magazine to photograph his body. And so it was everywhere. Everybody was seeing this image of this, you know, disfigured child, and everybody was horrified. So the murderers, when they had to uh, stand trial, the verdict was that they were innocent. And this, of course, was an all-white jury. 
and the defendants who publicly confessed later were seen taking the boy. Exactly. And this just upset so many people and especially Rosa Parks. And um, it just was kind of a tipping point, not just for her, I think for everyone at the time. And so it was just one dignity after another indignity after another indignity. But Emmett Till's murder was a huge catalyst for Rosa's defiance. And later on, she became very, very good friends and colleagues with Emmett Till's mother. Who was an incredibly brave woman herself. Yes, because she was that was her only child. And she really made a point of making sure that uh, these photographs of her child were seen by everyone. So it was probably incredibly difficult for her, but it was outrageously brave and, and had a tremendous impact. The film really focuses on those four days between her arrest and when the boycott began. And boy, they are really four days that shook the world. Could you just recount a little bit about what had to get done in that short amount of time? It was really monumental. It's monumental because the atmosphere of the time was, it was just terrorism. And so people were so afraid of being murdered, raped, killed. You lose your job. And the poverty also was pretty intense. So in order to convince people and actually get the word out, get people to know that this is what was going to happen on on Monday, and this is pre, obviously, social media, a lot of people didn't have telephones, how people organized. So it was really through the church and through school and through word of mouth. And everyone, I think, said it's time, and they believed that that Rosa was the person to do it. But it was a big, big risk, and it, it took a lot of convincing. Even Rosa gave a speech. Her family didn't want her to, to do this. So it, it, it just took a lot of convincing, talking, cajoling, and I think really getting the church and also the women's groups on their side. But it, it was monumental because it, there were 55,000 people who, who boycotted on Monday, which is, is huge. Yeah, getting the word out to 55,000 yes. people. That's a lot of mimeographs. It really is. I think I, think I heard it was they got out 35,000 mimeographs out. And then everything else was word of mouth. One thing I really liked about this film was that they showed people working. Yes, having day jobs and working during the day, but working at organizing, working on activism, working on civil rights, that the movement happened because ordinary people made it happen. Exactly. Rosa Parks was a seamstress. Edie Nixon was a, a porter on the trains. These were regular people who just were activists on the side. I mean, that was really their lives, but they had regular jobs. This was one woman who just had had enough. And, you know, it was a teacher's church going people, regular people that um, weren't paid to do this, but just had to do this. And, you know, we always think about Martin Luther King, what an icon, Rosa Parks, what an icon. She didn't think she was an icon. She was just a regular person who, your regular working class person who just couldn't take it anymore, you know, and, and was committed. The press release for Behind the Movement said this film was put together very quickly. 
So it was a tight schedule. How long did you have to prepare? Oh, not that long. Three weeks? Yeah, three weeks. And then we shot it in 13 days. Oh, my God. Yeah. (laughs) So it was really, okay, we're doing this. Let's just jump in. And I think that for me, I just was like, well, you know, I've been acting for a while. I'm just going to trust that this is just going to come through. And the other actors are phenomenal and have been kind of my idols. So they just jumped in as well. And they also really know what they're doing. This is the deal. So we all got the script. And I think everyone felt like this was bigger than us. And that this story is really, really important to tell. And it hadn't been told like this before. So everyone just kind of dropped everything and just jumped into this, including the grips, including the makeup hair people. I mean, the schedule for what we achieved, not that anybody gets any medals for working fast, but I just think that there was this sense that, that this story was, was really relevant today and, and really an important American story that needed to be told. And we should mention Isaiah Washington played E.D. Nixon. Loretta Devon was Joanne Robinson. Roger Guinevere Smith was Raymond Parks. They're just beautiful, beautiful actors. And um, I think you see that in in the film. And to compound this and and the schedule, it's a period piece. Yes, I know. Yes, yes, it's a pure piece. Sometimes uh, extras had to be sent back home because they their dues were a little too 2017 and not 1955. So it was a, a lot of work. But it was put together so beautifully. The costumes, as you mentioned earlier, were particularly striking. They really set the mood. I really loved the lace collars that Rosa Parks wore. It was beautiful. Beautiful. And the costume, Rosa in the church, that was made specially, and it's a replica of the dress she actually wore. We shot this in Atlanta, and so the vintage uh, selection there is fantastic. They pulled from just regular vintage stores, and it was clothes from the 50s. So many people involved with the production of this film are African-American, TV One is an African-American-owned media company. The director is African-American. The editor is African-American. The screenwriter is African-American. There just seemed to be a conscious effort to involve as many African-Americans as possible, not just in front of the camera, but behind the camera as well. Oh, yes. I think it's beautiful, and I think it's timely, and I think it's fantastic that we're getting to, to have our own narrative. And also TV One has a lot of women running the show for for their TV shows. Mm-hmm. So I think it was just like a natural fit. Like, of course, we're going to, you know, hire a black writer. It makes sense. And there are so many wonderful black writers and black directors. And so it's it, it was fantastic. And I felt like Eric Avellino was a, is a wonderful filmmaker. And I was really surprised to find out that there'd only been one other movie about Rosa Parks. I was too. Yeah. I was surprised when I learned the film was done in such a short period of time because it is such a rich-looking film. It is, isn't it? Yes, yeah. That's what, yeah, that's what I think, too. You know, yeah. Again, I think it's because everybody just really loved the story and really fell in love with the importance of telling this story. And so everybody just gave it their all. And many times on the set while I was there, people would be crying, like grips, you know, or extras. And so it was this 
feeling that this this was history because the power of film is profound. But I also think that when you're dealing with historical fiction nowadays, that becomes the history, you know? And so, like, when I think of, like, a film like Zero Dark Thirty, I'm like, okay, well, so now that's what I think about Osama bin Laden. The image is in my head, you know? So we all felt like, well, besides, you know, whether this film is going to do well, this is something that will be perhaps a teaching tool, you know, or perhaps now people will think about the Montgomery bus boycott through viewing this film. And so it just felt like, oh, we're, we're doing something that is going to affect the way people think about our own history. Because film holds a collective memory in some ways. Exactly. Now, you have a multinational background. I do, yes. Um, my mother is from Haiti, and my father is American. And we followed my father's career, and he worked for the United Nations and care and that kind of work. And so I was uh, almost like a military brat, and then I moved around a lot as a kid. And I think it's part of the reason that I'm an actor is because I always had to, I was always the new kid, and it wasn't, it was a new culture and a, a new, you know, language, everything. And I was kind of like a little anthropologist and was always very curious about, oh, wow, everybody's the same, but everybody does things so differently. So even though I always like was upset when we had to move, looking back now, I'm so grateful for my upbringing. Had you always wanted to act from the time you were a kid? Pretty much, yeah. I mean, I was also a figure skater. I was a competitive figure skater. So I was always doing plays, but I was always performing and dancing and training. And I always had like a career, (laughs) even as a kid. And so when I stopped skating competitively around 15, 16, I I felt like, what am I, like, I can't just go to school, you know, like I had too much energy. And so I started doing theater and it just, just stayed with me and I went to college and did theater there and then I got out of school and got a job. I've always been an actor. Can you talk about what about acting, what about theater or film appeals to you? That's funny. I was just having this conversation yesterday. Besides the fact that I just like to perform, right? There's something about getting on stage or being in front of a camera that physically I enjoy what it feels like to be Rosa Parks is an amazing feeling. In a selfish way, it's just all these new experiences that I can explore within myself. But then I also telling stories and making people feel or think, you know, if anybody gets at all moved or has a little bit of relief or people think a little bit differently after they've seen. I know that when I go to the movies or when I go to theater, um, if if something makes me feel, I really enjoy it. And that's what I hope that, that people take away from what I do. Do you remember your first paying role? Yes, of course. It was a soap opera. It was called Loving. It was like a little twin sister of uh, all my children. It was the lowest rated soap opera on television. <laughs> But I loved it, and I was straight out of college. And in fact, I ran into Alimi Ballard, this act. We were like the teenage kids on the show, and we were boyfriend and girlfriend. And I couldn't believe it. I remember just being so excited to be there, and I couldn't. I just was like, this is amazing. 
Well, people talk about what good training soap operas are because, you know, you get sides every day. Yeah, and you shoot a show in one day, like a whole show. No time to be precious here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, and now I think the soaps are on on their decline, but for a long time that was training ground for so many people. Yeah. So, um, or and where people pulled young talent from. So, yeah, so that was a big deal and really exciting for me. You, do you do stage two? I do. I do. Um, not as much as I would like to. Yeah, in fact, uh, I'm so excited about Meghan Markle because a couple years ago, I did a play about Queen Charlotte, who was married to King George. And supposedly, Queen Charlotte, she was a German princess, and she was part African. And it was a time when everybody went into whiteface. And so she's always in whiteface and always hiding her African background. And so that was a beautiful play. So the playwright and I are like, oh, my God, now with Meghan Markle, we can really, like, take this to Broadway. (laughs) As an actress, what is it that you would like people to take away from behind the movement? I would like people to really take away how Rosa Parks and all of the other activists in Montgomery, how brave they were and how brave everyone at the time was to get on board and how much strategy and faith because, you know, a lot of people thought they were crazy to be doing this, to be resisting, to be standing up. But they just knew that things had to change and they risked their lives. This is our collective history. And so I hope that people are more proud of of us as Americans and, and also maybe even a little courage to um, stand up for things that, that you believe in or that you think are, are not right and to, to participate in community because you can't just complain about things. I think it's really important to participate in community. And tell me, what's next for you? Um, well, I'm going to be starring as Cleopatra next um, with Steven Spielberg. I know, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I am trying to figure that out as we speak. But this is definitely a hard act to follow. That's exactly where I was going, because you must need some time just to keep breathing through it. Yeah, exactly. Well, Meta, thank you so much for giving me your time. I appreciate it. It's such an honor for me to be here. This makes my family so happy and me so happy. So Thank you so much for all your support. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. That's actor Maida Golding. She's playing Rosa Parks in the film Behind the Movement. Behind the Movement airs on TV One on February 11th. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. And you can find Artworks on your podcast app, on your Apple phone. So please subscribe and leave us a rating. It'll help people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.